Welcome to Avalon Church. If this is your first visit here, I'm John. I'm not the senior pastor of Avalon Church, but I'm being allowed to speak this morning and bring God's word to you. And I want to share with you in this moment that there is no greater privilege, no greater honor that I could experience than the opportunity to come before you and to try and share what God has revealed to me through his word. If you are from Avalon Church and you've been here for a while and you're looking at me and saying, that guy looks kind of familiar. I know him from somewhere, but I can't put my finger on it. Well, you usually see me out in the parking lot with a hat on, on my knees, giving high fives to the kids. But this morning, they let me come inside and wow, <laughs> this place is pretty awesome. This morning, or last week, Lori and I, we were in Spokane, Washington with our six grandchildren. And it was just a magnificent and wonderful week. But the result of that was that we didn't get to attend last Sunday's service. So I got to listen to it online this week. And, 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 and at the end of the service, Jim brought the message last week. And at the end of last week's service, Peter, it's not working. There we go. At the end of last week's service, Jim reminded us and he told us that for the believer, for the believer, there are two choices. There's no third option. There are only two choices. We will either practice and experience righteous meditation on God's word. And I would add to that righteous meditation on his word and then righteously putting his word into practice in our lives. The other choice is to lead a life that is unrighteous, and taking our input and our counsel from the world and acting like the world. Two choices, righteous and meditating on God's word and putting it in, into action. Unrighteous and not meditating on wor God's word and taking our cues from the world. Today, so Peter, do I need to give this up? Okay, I'll give that up. Today, we're going to read from and learn from Psalm 28. In this season that we're experiencing at Avalon Church for the next several weeks, we're going to be um, having different pastors come up each week and teach from a different psalm. So this week, we're going to read from and learn from Psalm 28. Allow me to read it. To you, O Lord, I call my rock, be not deaf to me, lest... Lest, if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. There's a word. There's, a, there's so much in this first section of Psalm 28 that's important. But there's one word that screams out to me, and it is the word lest. David is crying. David. King David. He is crying out to God. And he says, lest, God, if you do not come to our rescue, we are doomed. God, lest you be silent. God, if we do not receive our victory from you, we are doomed. Do not drag me off with the wicked with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work. 
Give to them according to their work and according to their ev- the evil of their deeds. Give to them their due reward. Why? I read this and I ask myself, why? And the answer comes in the next line. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or bring his hands. They will experience their doom because they do not give just honor and glory to God. There's a message in that for my life. I pray that there's a message that in there for all of our lives. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults, my heart is joyous. With and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is my strength, the strength of his people. The Lord is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Would you go get that to Peter? David, in this moment, we experience three things. We don't know. We don't know what the struggle or what the trial is that David or the people of Israel are experiencing, but we know that it is absolutely significant. And in this, in this, in this chapter of Psalms, in this Psalm 28, we really see three things. We see God's child knowing the only source of victory and crying out to God. We see in this Psalm what will happen if God does not answer, if God does not bring the victory, if God does not respond, and we see God's child, we see King David giving thanks to God because of God's victory. We don't know. We don't know if David is thanking God in advance of the victory, having faith in what God is going to do, or we don't know if David is giving thanks to God for what God has already done in and through his will. We don't know. As I read Psalm 28, as I gave Psalm 28 over the recent weeks, it's righteous, due meditation. I saw the beginning, God's child reaching out to God and acknowledging that God is the only source of victory. I saw the consequences of what happens if God would turn a deaf ear. And then I saw the prayer and the thanksgiving and the supplication of God's child for the victory that God brought. And it is in that middle section that I would like to spend some time this week focusing. It is on the various types of victory that God brings in our life. The psalm doesn't tell us what the exact victory was. It doesn't tell us what the challenge was. So this week, allow us to examine some of the various types of distress that we might experience in our life, some of the various types of distress that people from the Old and the New Testament experienced in their lives, and how God used that moment to bring his victory. There are times when God provides wisdom through the Holy Spirit to sustain us and bring victory in our seasons of distress. One such event, one such event is revealed to us in Genesis in chapter 41, and it's the story of Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite Bible characters. 
He absolutely is. I love seeing the life of Joseph and seeing everything that God did through the life of Joseph. As a child, he was hated by his brothers. His brothers, his brothers plotted to murder him. Instead of murdering him, his brothers sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt and he ends up in Pharaoh's prison unjustly. David has had a hard, hard life and it is in that prison cell and it is in that season of David's life that I'd like to examine this morning. And, and, this, and this moment in his life, it is revealed in Psalm 41. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, I, I encourage you to. Um, I'm going to put it up on the I think I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to tell the story. In this moment of life, in this moment of, of history, Pharaoh has two dreams. And these dreams perplex him. And as a result of these dreams, Pharaoh calls in his magicians and his wise men, and he asks them, please interpret this dream for me. And his magicians and his wise men are absolutely perplexed, and they cannot interpret his dream. And then, and then, Pharaoh's cupbearer, he looks at Pharaoh and he says, I know a guy. I know a guy. He can interpret your dreams. Now, it just, it's just a coincidence. He happens to be in your prison. But I've known him before, and I have heard him interpret dreams correctly so that I know that if you call for him, he, he can interpret your dreams. So Pharaoh sends to his prison, and he sends for Joseph. Joseph, before he presents himself to Pharaoh, he cuts his beard, he cleans up, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, how may I serve Pharaoh? And Pharaoh says, I've had two dreams. I've had two dreams. No one else can understand them. But I have been told that you can interpret dreams. The first words out of Joseph's mouth are not me, not me, but the God I worship. Not me, but the God I worship can interpret those dreams and he will reveal the meaning of those dreams to me and I will give them to Pharaoh. Joseph doesn't claim any credit. Joseph gives all of the credit and all of the honor and all of the glory to a just and righteous God. So Pharaoh shares with Joseph the dream. There are seven fat cows who come up out of the Nile and Pharaoh sees them in his dream. And then there are seven emaciated, bones showing through the skin, cows that come up out of the Nile. And those seven emaciated, starving cows, they consume the seven fat cows. Pharaoh wakes up. This is kind of disturbing. Pharaoh finally gets back to sleep. Pharaoh has another dream. There are seven plump heads of grain that come up. And then following them closely are seven empty withered heads of grain that come up. And the seven withered, empty ears of grain or heads of grain, they consume the seven plump, fat heads of grain. And Pharaoh looks at Joseph and he says, Joseph, what does this mean? Joseph says, allow me to pray and allow me to receive this from God. And God revealed to him the answer. Joseph said, the seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows, they are each seven years. The seven fat heads of grain and the seven empty heads of grain, they are each seven years. What this means is that we are going to experience seven years of plenty. There's going to be food in the land. There's going to be plenty to eat. There's going to be plenty to drink. We are going to do well for seven years. And then there's going to be seven years of famine that will wipe out, if we do not prepare, will wipe out the nation of Egypt, and maybe all around. 
And because you had two dreams, because you had two dreams, this is put in place by God. There is no other way. It is fixed by God. So Pharaoh, through his wisdom and his discernment, he looks at Joseph and says, since God has given you the answer and given you discernment over this dream, I give you charge and command over setting in place a solution. And Joseph says, for the seven years of plenty, for the seven years of plenty, we will store up so that we do not starve to death in the seven years of famine. And this is what Joseph did. Joseph led a team and they spent seven years storing up so that the seven years of famine would not consume the nation of Egypt. And here's what turned out. A young Jewish man saved the entire nation of Egypt. As I read that, I kind of wondered, what if the nation of Egypt today remembered this moment and remembered that their very existence was, was the result of a young Jewish man so many years ago, and they would treat their Jewish brothers with that deference and respect. And God not only used that moment to save the nation of, of, of Egypt, but God's children were experiencing the same famine. And because all of those stores had been brought up, God used that moment not only to save Egypt, but to save his children because they came down to Egypt where there was food to eat. God, God did not change any of the circumstances. None of the circumstances changed. There was a time of, of, of plenty and a time of absolute famine. In our normal lives, we would cry out to God and we would say, change the circumstance. God chose to use the wisdom that he gave to one man to save the people from what was going to happen. So sometimes in our seasons of life, sometimes in our seasons of life, God doesn't change the circumstances. He gives us the wisdom to know how to endure and how to make it through that season of life. And in that season, we have just reason to give him praise and to give him glory and to give him honor. If you'd like to read more about Joseph's life, Joseph li Joseph's life or this event, it's in, it's, it's, it's in Genesis chapter 41. But if you want to, rewind to about chapter 37 and do spend some time reading about Joseph and his life. It is a magnificent historical story. And our studying of that season of history would be our righteous meditation on God's word. Sometimes... Sometimes God brings others alongside of us. We are in a season of distress. We are in a season of trial. And God brings others alongside of us to, in the middle of the distress and in the middle of the battle, to bring victory. As I thought about this type of stress, I was reminded in Exodus chapter 17 in verses 8 through 13, there's a battle and, and this is a story of Moses. Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egypt. He has led the people of Israel out of bondage and out of captivity and out of slavery. And they are in the wilderness. And there is a king. His name is Amalek. And he decides, I'm going to wage war on the army of Israel. I'm going to wage war on God's people. And so God reveals to Moses, take Joshua. He is in command of the Lord's army. Send Joshua into the battle. And Moses, I want you, I want you to go up on top of the hill. And when you are up on top of that hill, take with you two men. Take your armor bearers. Take Aaron and Hur. Take them with you. 
and Moses, while the battle reigns, I want you to raise your arms in due deference to heaven. Raise your arms to heaven. And as long as your arms are raised, the battle will be belong to the army of Joshua. In this season of life, Moses, he's a pretty old man. Like me, I don't know how long I could stand up on top of a hill and hold my arms up in the air. I would want to keep them up there forever. But Moses, Moses, in the frailty of his human condition, he starts to slump. He's an old man, and his arms start to come down. And as his arms come down, the battle turns to Amalek. And Joshua's army is suffering defeat. But sometimes, God brings others alongside of us so that during our season of distress, during our season of battle, during our season of trial, they can help strengthen us through this moment. So Aaron and her, they bring a stone and they place it behind Moses so that he can lean against this. All right, I'm still standing. And then Aaron... Aaron, he takes one arm and he holds it high in the air. And then her, he takes the other arm and he holds it high in the air. And they stand there and they hold Moses' arms up in the air because Moses doesn't have the physical strength to do it himself any longer. And as the sun goes down, the victory of the battle is to Joshua's army. And the credit and the glory and the honor for the victory that is given that day is given to God. Because Moses had his arms raised as commanded by God and because two men came alongside of Moses to strengthen him in that season. How many times in my life, how many times in my life have I experienced a season where what I needed to do was call two people in beside me and say, I can't hold my arms up in the air anymore. Please, Help me. I can't, I don't have the strength to do this. How many times have I seen in my season of life a moment where I saw someone who didn't have the strength to hold their arms up in the air anymore and I missed the opportunity to be the person who went and held their arms up? Oh, if we would be a body of Christ who would do two things. Call out to our friends. Call out to our trusted armor bearers and say, I don't have the strength to do this. Would God bring you into my life to help me through this trial? And when we see those who are close to us struggling and about to fall, maybe, just maybe we could go help them hold their arms up until the sun goes down. You see, there was that season. There was that moment. Aaron and Hur didn't have to hold Moses' arms up in the air forever. It was only until the sun went down and that battle was won. Sometimes in our seasons of life, God brings others alongside of us to help us, help us experience his victory in the battle. If you'd like to read more about Moses, he is all through Genesis. He is all through Exodus. It, it is through the, through the entire Bible. I encourage you to go read about Moses' life and the things that God did in Moses' life because that would be our righteous meditation on God's word. Sometimes, 
Sometimes God just comes in and he vanquishes our enemies. When I thought about God vanquishing enemies, there are so many stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament of God vanquishing the enemies of the people of God. But one, one stands out to me, and maybe you remember it. It is the story of David and Goliath. And we find this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David, he is a young shepherd boy at this time of his life. And what's going on is the Philistine army has come and the Philistine army is standing on this hilltop and they are looking out at the army of God and they, and they are ready to wage war and do battle. And on this other hilltop, facing, facing the Philistines is the army of God and they are ready to wage war and do battle against the Philistines. And every day, every day for 40 days, this giant... The Bible describes him as somewhere in the neighborhood of nine feet tall. This giant named Goliath comes out every day with his armor bearer. And the armor bearer and Goliath, they taunt the army of God. And they say, send out one man. Send out one man. Let's not do battle. Send out one man. And you send a man. I will battle that man. And whoever is victorious, if I am victorious, then the Philistines win and you become our slaves. If if, if your warrior is victorious, send him out. If your warrior is victorious, then the Philistines, they will become your servants and your slaves. The army of God, the army of God, the soldiers of God, Saul in his advanced years, they look at Goliath and they see this man and they don't see a victory that God has already given. They see a giant that no man can face the soldiers in the army of God. They, they are filled with despair and fear. God's word in this portion of the Bible, it tells us that, that, that the soldiers, they are filled with despair and, the, and fear. There is no way that they are going to go out there. No one man is going to go take on Goliath. And then this little shepherd boy, he comes in and he sees the commotion. He sees and hears Goliath taunting taunting the, the, the people of God. And through a set of circumstances, David ends up before Saul. And Saul says, what are you, you're a shepherd boy. What are you doing here? And you know what David says? David, Goliath. Okay? David says, let me at him. Who is this Philistine? Who is this Philistine to mock God? Who is this Philistine to speak out against God? You let me at him and I will defeat him. And Saul looks at him and says, what are you going to do? You are just a kid. You're just a kid. He is a giant. You will surely be defeated. And David, David looks at Saul and he says, when I was in the wilderness guarding the flock, when I was in the wilderness guarding the flock and the lion came, the Lord our God delivered that lion into my hand and that lion was defeated. And when the bear came, the Lord our God delivered that bear into my hand and that bear was defeated and I killed that bear because of the strength of, the, uh, the strength of our Lord. Not because of anything that I did, but because of the Lord, the lion and the bear were defeated at this hand. And the same Lord the same exact Lord who gave victory over the lion and the same exact Lord who gave victory over the bear, he will surely give victory over this Philistine who mocks him. 
What's Saul going to say? Go get him. Go get him. So they suit him up. And David, he goes and he gathers some stones and he puts some of them in his pouch and he puts one stone in his... David has no armor on. Here is this giant with bronze breastplate, with armor, with a kind of a daunting task. David winds up and he buries a stone in the forehead of Goliath and Goliath drops dead. The same God who gave victory over the lion and victory over the bear immediately gave victory over Goliath. And the Philistines were defeated. Sometimes God vanquishes the enemy. I don't know about you, but I truly appreciate the life of David. And it spans many books in the Old Testament. And he's mentioned in the New Testament. I encourage you. I encourage you to read Proverbs written by David. I encourage you to read the Psalms. I encourage you to read the stories of of the little child, David, and as he grows up to be king, because he is a progenitor and in the lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And reading about his story, it would be a just meditation on God's word, and it would give us guidance on how to live in our lives. Sometimes, sometimes God uses my season of distress and my season of battle to bring victory into and for the lives of others. It was October 2015. Early October 2015, and I got the phone call. The voice on the other end of the phone. The voice on the other end of the phone said, Mom's not doing well. It's time. It's time to come. So I went to Tampa. And by the time I got there, my mother was unconscious. Time and sickness was about to take her body. As she lay there, unconscious, I cried out to God, and I asked God, I asked God one question. Father God, if your purpose, if your will through her life is complete, why is this necessary? Why do we need to experience this? Why do, we, why do we receive this season of mourning and sorrow and distress? And I sat there and I asked God that question. I was challenging God. I'll admit it. But as I sat there, morning turned into afternoon and it turned into evening and it turned into morning and one day turned into another day. And I sat there in those days and I read God's word And I really, I stuck with Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, and I read those books over and over and over again. One verse in Colossians meant so much to me. If you ask for peace, I will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. And as I sat there and read and prayed and sometimes just passed out and fell asleep, the hospice nurses were in the room with us 
And they work in shifts. There were three, three nurses every day. It was Wednesday. And I'd sat there with this young hospice nurse for nearly her entire shift. And towards the end of her shift, she asked me a question. She said, are you a man of God? And I said, well, I don't really know what that question means, but I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm an elder at our church. Uh, I, I, I am a pastor. Um, so I hope that I am a man of God. And I said, why do you ask? And so she asked me a question. She opened up in that moment. She had been sitting there with me for days. And in that moment, she opened up and she asked me one of the most heart-wrenching, heart-troubling questions that I have ever heard. The, what that question is does not matter. And she asked and she said, I've asked this question to a number of people. I've asked it in church. I've asked it of my friends. And no one, no one has ever been able to give me an answer. Can you answer this question? And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm sitting here with my mom. But God, if this is what you have in store, let's go. And I told her, I said, I don't have an answer for you. And her, and her, and her countenance sunk, her shoulders slumped. I said, but I know, I know who might. Let's ask God your question. So we opened God's word and we explored God's word for hours. And we sought an answer from God. And in the waning hours of her shift, God gave an answer to her question. And in that moment, in that moment, what I got to see was a, a young woman who at the beginning of that conversation had distress and had, had pain evident on her face and in her countenance. And at the end of that conversation, when God had given her a clear answer to her question, I saw a woman who was sitting in peace and sitting in God's victory over that distress in her life. And then the door opened and the next shift worker walked in. We had no, time had disappeared for us. We had no idea what the time was. And the next shift walker started, or the next shift nurse came in. <clears throat> and this young woman, she said, oh, she looked at her watch. And she said, I have to go. I have an appointment. I can't, I can't stay, but I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave, but I can't stay. So we prayed and she went on her way to take care of her business. A little bit perplexed, the next shift worker, after she's gone, looks at me and says, what was that all about? So I shared with her. I said, she had a question and, and what the question was, doesn't matter, but she had a question. So we went to God and we asked God that question. And it was late in the day. And so me and that, and that nurse, we had some idle conversation through the rest of the evening. And then it was really time for me to go find some place to sleep. I came back very early, very early the next morning. And that shift worker, that nurse was still there. And we had some, we had some idle conversation. And I open, open, open the Bible and I'm reading and I'm praying and, and I'm just staring off into space. All the while, all the while through both of these experiences, I'm still asking God, God, if your purpose for my mom is done, if your will in her life has been accomplished, why, why don't you just take her home? 
I'm living in my own distress in this moment too. And my distress is just so powerful over me. And then it happened. This young woman, she asked me a question. And it was a question only God could answer. So we sat there and we explored God's word for, for a brief period of time and God gave her an answer to her question, a question that she may have never asked anyone before, maybe she had, but in that moment, in that moment I saw the same thing. I saw, I saw a young woman whose face and countenance was full of distress and anguish turned to a face and a countenance that was experiencing peace. God had given her victory over the question and over the distress that she had. And it was near the end of her shift. And then it happened. The door opens and the next shift worker, shift worker walks in. And she comes in and this young lady says, I don't want to go. I don't want to go, but I have to. So she leaves. And me and the next nurse, we sit there and we talk throughout the day. We talk throughout the day. And towards the afternoon, it happens again. She says, I see you praying. I see you reading your Bible. Could you help me with something? And I told her, no, I can't. But I know who can. I know who can. And she posed her question. She posed her distress. And we sought out an answer from God. And God gave an answer to this young woman. All the while, I'm not seeing what's going on. I'm still asking God, God, if, 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 if your purpose for my mom's life is done, take her home. Don't let her lay here and suffer. And then it was about five minutes after the hour, mid-afternoon. And this young woman, she said, I've got, to, I've got to go out to the hallway. I don't know if she had to make a phone call or take a phone call. But she took her phone and she went out to the hallway. You can draw your own conclusions. Within five minutes of the moment she walked out into that hallway, I was sitting there watching my mother and I saw her body breathe its last. And I went out to the hall and I got the nurse and I said, would you mind checking my mom? I think she's, I think she's gone. Nurse came in, stethoscope. Your mom's gone. Your mom's gone. And in the moment of that mourning and that sorrow and that distress and that despair, I heard God say, John, now I'm done with your mom's life there on earth. I've got her, I've got you, and now because of this season in y'all's life, I've got these three nurses too. Sometimes, God uses my season of distress to reach into and minister into the lives of others. Sometimes we will know it and see it, and sometimes we absolutely will not. I share, with, I share this with you because it is my life experience and because I know that it is true. Sometimes, sometimes we don't experience God's victory on this side of eternity. I'm gonna still sit in that room I'm going to stay in that room. Our prayer for, for my mom's sickness, our prayer during that time was that she would be healed from her sickness. But here's the truth. In that moment when my mom breathed her last, 
in that moment when her earthly body was gone. Remember, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's, letter to, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5. It said, and I had read it over and over and over again. It said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In that moment when her earthly body breathed its last, there was no defeat. There was absolutely no defeat. God gave an immediate victory over death, and my mom was standing healed in heaven. Sometimes, sometimes we don't get to experience victory on this side of eternity. That's, that's tough for me because I want all of it on this side, but sometimes God gives victory over the distress in eternity. There's one more story. I know I'm running a little bit long. Do I have time for one more story? Is it okay? All right, all right. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Christ, he's on his knees, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is about to experience some of the most intense distress. He knows what is coming, he knows that he is about to be taken captive by the Romans. He knows that he is about to suffer the mockery of a trial. He knows that he is about to be, ex be, be, be tried, executed. He knows that all of this is going to happen. And in that moment of distress, what does even Jesus Christ do? He cries out to God. God, if it be your will, take this cup. But if it's not your will, let it happen. Even our Savior Jesus Christ, in that moment, in that moment, he cried out to God. I have to believe that Jesus Christ, he knew that he was about to experience something that he had never experienced in all of eternity. Because while he walked on the earth with his disciples, he looked at his disciples and he said, if you want to see the Father, look at me, because I and the Father are one. He had never in all of eternity experienced any separation from the Father. And he knew he knew that in a matter of moments, in that season of his life, he was about to become sin on behalf of all mankind and experience for the first time in all of eternity separation from his father of all of the anguish, the scourging, the beating, the lies, the his disciples deserting him. All of that had to pale in comparison to the understanding and the knowledge understanding and the knowledge that he would for the first time be separated from his father, it even caused him on the cross to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you turned your face from me? My God, my God, I cannot stand this separation from you. Moments later, Jesus' earthly body, it ceased to operate. Jesus died. He had been murdered. In that moment, the veil to the Holy of Holies was torn into from top to bottom. The ground shook. There was an earthquake. The sky grew dark. In that moment, it appeared as if, it appeared as if God's victory had been defeated. It was laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. But then, then just three days later, some women go to the tomb and they, they want to go take care of their Savior and they see that the stone is rolled away and they are confronted by the reality that there was no defeat, 
that Jesus had been risen from the dead and God had given the greatest victory of all time, Jesus' resurrection and God's victory over the grave. In our seasons of life, and we're all going to experience them. We are all going to experience times of distress, times of struggle, times of trial. And we've only shared this morning just a few of the ways that God brings victory into and through our lives. There are so many more. Here's the truth. I tell you the truth. The answer to every trial, the answer to everything we ever need to know about living our life is inside of these 66 books. And they are due. They are due our righteous meditation and then putting them into practice. If you're in this room, if you're in this room this morning and you don't have, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you would like to know more, and you would like to know more about what it's like not to have to face those distresses and those trials on your own, but to be able to face those distresses, to be able to face those trials, to be able to face every, every hard moment of life with a God and Savior. I encourage you, after the service, we're going to be down front. There will be people in the prayer room. Come find one of us and ask us, what? I don't want to face life on my own anymore. I can tell from these stories that it's not going to be easy but I would rather face the rest of my life with a Savior than ever face another day without a Savior. If that's you in this room, I beg you, don't go to sleep tonight without resolving that. For the believer in this room, for the believer in this room, here is God's truth. When we face the seasons of our life, give glory and honor and respect to God. Give him thanksgiving in all things just like David did. Cry out to him. When you have a distress, cry out to God and acknowledge, God, without you, without you, I am toast. God, here are the consequences. God, I need you to save me. And then let's be like the one leper who came back. There were 10 lepers who Jesus healed. One came back and said, thank you. Nine went off on their way and Jesus said, I healed 10. Where are the other nine? Like David, claim God's victory in advance because he will bring victory. We may not recognize it, but he will bring victory. And give him thanks for the works that he does in and through your life. His word deserves our righteous meditation and then putting it into action in our lives. I thank you. I love you, and I'm done. <laughs>